introduction this time oh, round, but not our music and, and and with apologies to the to the marsh family there for cutting them off just as they were getting to their uh crescendo like, crescendo of their performance yes um, wonderful wonderful i'm sure people will be familiar with their music that's kind of kept many of us going during lockdown faversham's most famous uh, family the marsh family absolutely and we thought it would be good to start the the podcast off with just a brief uh introduction to the music uh, to uh, familiarise those who haven't heard the Marsh family, where have you been? What, Under what's a going lot. on? Yeah, uh, but also just before we we have the interview with Ben, um, thanks to Ben for taking the time out uh, from his busy schedule of yeah, when he's not appearing on BBC Radio yeah. and all sorts of all other TV things. shows, and, and actually having a day job. But just to to remind us all of 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 the music and 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 you know how he came to be talking to us too about droning on about copyright for absolutely for, yeah 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 um so i it was a really great interview we're not going to spend too much time doing a, a pre-waffle waffle are we we're um, not we're not no but i mean i think we've both been quite interested in it from the perspective of uh you know writing parody songs obviously it's musical so we love a bit of music but you know the kind of how that all works when you run up against the kind of music industry and the way that copyright works there and and being able to chat to Ben was just fantastic about getting him to tell his story about yeah. about his encounters with copyright absolutely so we'll get to that right away just one final point to say at the end it might sound a little bit uh clipped in terms of the editing <laughs> we had a slight moment at the end didn't we where you told me to stop recording before we'd even really given Ben a chance to say thank you so we gave him a little bit of a, a second uh, attempt at that um <laughs> We are seamless, if nothing, you know. Seamless. Yeah, we absolute professionals. You can fix anything in the mix. Okay. Absolutely. On that note, time for some waffle. It's not legal advice, but it will have to suffice because it's copyright waffle, copyright waffle, copyright waffle. All right. Hi, uh, hello, everybody. It's, Hi there. Hello, hello. hello. It's Chris and Jane here back with another copyright waffle. And, and we have a very special guest with us today, don't we? We do. So you might be thinking that seemingly all our guests of recent uh, recently are from the University of Kent, but in this case, uh, the person we're talking to is also an internet superstar. So uh, I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Ben Marsh uh, to the Copyright Waffle podcast. Hi there, Ben. Thank you very much. Hi, it's lovely to be here. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, fantastic that you could take time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Because yes. um, I mean, we'll get into your story in a moment, but presumably you've your time has been in quite a lot of demand recently. A lot of people wanting to talk to you. 
Well, not just that, but, you know, the dog and the cats at home with everyone still locked down at the moment. Uh, the children keep coming in with long division problems uh, like everyone else. You've got kids, so time definitely in demand in all sorts of ways. Yeah. OK, so I well, we appreciate it very much. You've taken the time to talk to us. Yes, we definitely do. So um, it, the, the, the topic of the of the podcast is copyright. So there are clearly some copyright aspects to, to your story, but perhaps if you can uh, just run us through uh, what's been happening in, in your life and in your family's life over the past few months that's kind of led you to, to this stage. Well, there's a, there's, I'm a historian in my, in my real life, uh, so there's a kind of a long history or a short history, I suppose, and, and the, 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 sh the potted version of the long history is my mum and dad are both music teachers and my mum um, writes writes kids' music. So there's a lot of that in my blood. And since uh, uh, since our kids were growing up, we've always made little songs and typically we've you know tended to record a few of them and share them. In the old days, it was on CDs that we used to kind of make CDs. And do you remember when we used to sort of print, print <laughs> covers to DVDs for Christmas presents? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So that was all very straightforward and there were no copyright <laughs> issues associated with that at all. Um, making them for, for family birthdays and, and Christmases and things like that. And then, yeah, we moved to Kent in, in 2014. Kids are all a bit a bit bigger. And then since the, the lockdown pivot uh, hit us all in sort of February, March time in 2020, um, we were sharing some of our songs on, on Facebook. Um, and one of the ones that we shared very early on on, on Facebook just absolutely took off like crazy, um, because I've got a couple of colleagues in because I, I do American history, a couple of colleagues mm. in the States who'd seen it. Um, and, you know, the Internet did its thing. And before we knew it, mm. we had floods of requests, information, messenger and our, our uh, information world and emails got turned completely upside down. And we found ourselves <laughs> in a situation we were totally unprepared for. Uh, and that yes. was a, a one day more parody that we did of, uh, of Les Mis. Yeah, I think that I first saw that on Facebook myself, actually. I think a couple of people started sharing it around and then I suddenly worked up that you were uh, quite local and uh, worked at the University of Kent as well. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So you've done quite a, a, a few different songs. So it wasn't just that first one. And in fact, recently you've had uh, another song based on Hallelujah, which kind of caught the zeitgeist again, didn't it? Because it was about the vaccination. Yeah, that's right. So as I said, it was a very steep learning curve after that first foray and all of the media appearances and kind of questions. And, and lots of it was very exciting, but it's kind of hard to remember now. It feels like decades ago, but it was also that time in March, April last year where everyone was just floored by this disease and its impact on our workflows and jobs. And everyone was very frightened. And sadly, you know, the infection rates and the death rates and, and uh, hospital admissions, things like that were, were creeping up. So there's a weird mix of what would you know what we normally associate with the internet viral thing being a sensation and being um super exciting on the one hand and then this this very relentless kind of dark time as we all began to appreciate the full severity of, of what was coming um mm. so yeah but a, a kind of a steep learning curve in lots of different ways i think for all of us and then there was a pause after that and we sort of we, we have been taken by surprise and our, our natural response was to be a bit worried 
um, a bit because we didn't expect our kids' faces to be dotted around everywhere and flying around in a completely uncontrolled way. You know, we were, we were occasionally giving permissions for one or two publications that approached us, but in other cases, it was just steaming around. Nobody was asking permission. And then everyone was suddenly very interested in our lives. So we found it a yeah. bit frightening. And our natural reaction was to kind of Let's let's ride it out and then stop stop doing that and sort of re- and, and kind of cut things off. Um, but yeah, a bit later in April, after learning a few things, we decided okay, now the best route here is going to going to be to set up a YouTube channel where we where they have this system called Content ID, which I'd never heard of before. That's much better mm. than we were told and kind of did a bit of soft research, much better than Facebook and allows kind of a, a semi-authorized process. Of sharing the information, um, we didn't want, and we still haven't, um, you know, monetized anything ourselves. Um, no, which no. just we didn't feel was right at all, given given our situation, the pandemic situation. Um, but yeah, as as Chris says, um, just towards the end of the year, there was a bit of interest, and then uh, two two songs, especially I think at the start of this year, really really went viral again. Um, yeah, the mm-hmm. the Hallelujah. Uh, parody that we did, um, which was about carried a public health message to try and help people combat vaccine hesitancy, which is clearly um, a big problem. But the UK was kind of dealing with that problem before lots of other places. Um, and then we reverted to form, which is uh, kids messing around and us doing 80s classics of one sort <laughs> or another. Um, and so we did a version of Bonnie Tyler's uh, total eclipse of the heart that we call yeah. totally fix where we are that again seems to have caught the the zeitgeist as we've all been in. I the like that department. one a lot. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the thing that makes obviously aspects that makes them so uh, charming. I think that people like them is is your family's performance and the fact that you're together yes. and and and, yeah. and managing to in some ways. And your children's amazing voices. Amazing voices, but you managed to get it all coordinated at the same time as you're actually talking about everybody else's lived experience, which is that actually there's an awful lot of 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 arguing and and, and tension within any household in in even the best circumstances. So I mean it's 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 great to see, but I'm I'm quite interested to understand your and we'll get on to the copyright kind of takedown and all that stuff in a moment but uh, your your creative process if you like what's the you know the, it, how does it start do you do, do you discuss as a family what you're going to do what songs you're going to do is it is it kind of primarily driven by you because you write most of those words the, the the lyrics don't you for those versions yeah i i tend to when there's a version that's um that's not just a straight cover i mean it, it came from just doing covers of songs we love we love we love musicals it's so it's and i think this is a, why people have liked it during these moments in particular because it's kind of just comes from a place of fun and self-release mm. and that I've maybe that sense of energy I mean I, I I agree without kind of sounding too much like a proud dad like the kids I have really taken to it and they they're amazing and their, their effort their willingness to kind of embarrass themselves um is just lovely to see but yeah it's the, the creative process has just started from we're only doing this because we're enjoying it and the, yeah. moment, the moment it becomes something where someone's not enjoying it, we don't, we stop. And that's why we kind of haven't felt like we need to produce this or we're not guided by anything externally. And obviously that's much easier in lockdown because we're all stuck in our own little world. So there hasn't been any like pressure from the outside other than the odd email recommending what people would like us to do. Uh, so we, we <laughs> just kind of do what we want and what makes us laugh. 
Um, and a lot of that comes from, sadly, our background in 80s power ballads or, uh, or 90s music or whatever. Um, I, I do, yeah, I do tend to kind of do a bit of the steering when it comes to the writing the lyrics of, of things that I think are funny. But then I always get um, turned down for songs or or lines get twisted or people refuse to sing them. So the creative process maybe starts with me, but it always gets contaminated and destroyed. And then we end up with what we end up with. Um, by the years. Yeah. Maybe we'll maybe we'll give you a couple of suggestions of some of our favourite uh, 80s pop ballads at the end. Yeah, uh, Chris and I are quite fans of doing a bit of karaoke of that sort of stuff, aren't we? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's plenty more. Um, I, I wondered if um, you could tell us a bit about, um, I mean, we, we, we sort of often speak to people who've been involved in copyright for a long time. And obviously... For you, I think some of it probably was quite new to you when, you know, you were kind of suddenly thrust into the limelight, this sort of lockdown success, and, and maybe copyright wasn't something you'd thought about before. But, I mean, I, I just wondered, because, you, you know, you're a lecturer, you're a historian, was something that you had thought about in any significant detail? Had it come up sort of in, in any aspects of your work before? Um, and can you just sort of tell us a bit about what what sort of happened and how it you know suddenly became quite a big deal yeah I mean I suppose my like probably most historians I guess my background in terms of thinking about copyright or or rights issues had tended to be to do with visuals visuals and text mm -hmm. right so the world of music and audio and publishing rights and things like that I had absolutely no versing in whatsoever and still no. still don't really feel like I do but um yeah, it tended to, to cross my path thinking about questions of plagiarism, academic plagiarism, um, yes. student plagiarism, but also trying to get um, rights licensed and being careful with what I'm using in as kind of supporting lecture materials. Um, mine yes. also when it's when there's an educational orientation versus some of the public engagement work that I might be doing. So I, I was director of public engagement for a while in the Faculty of, of Humanities and engagement's always been a really uh, important facet to me of what we sort of do as, as historians and academics. Um, so on a couple of projects like that, where, for instance, in our Age of Revolution project, um, we were assembling objects from heritage collections. Um, mm. We had to absolutely kind of know our way around sort of due diligence with making sure that we had rights and permissions for um, for those images to, to, to have them embedded in the site and things like that. So, yeah, I'd, I'd come across it um, in, in some ways in, in my kind of work capacity but um but not really to do with audio so no, when you did have no, to no. so when you did have to deal with those you found yourself you mentioned content id in in a completely different world where in some ways these are these are algorithms aren't they these are these are bots that are regulating what happens and then you start having to deal with the legal affairs departments of and the permissions departments of major entertainment uh, organisations. And so, can you just talk us through that process of, of yeah, what, what happened and how did you how did you work your way through those? Well, I think as I said before, it was a sort of baptism of fire with the first one that went viral um, mm. because. I mean, part of what we tried to do in that moment with the initial song 
um, was just to reach out to people as human beings and say, listen, we, we are just an ordinary family. We don't have an agent. We don't have a copyright lawyer or whatever. So um, when it comes to sort of navigating the requests that were flying in from uh, European, American, Australian um, platforms and kind of news agencies saying, can we have permission for this? Can We'll pay you this for permission to you. Can we clip the song? And so I sort of just, just to pull together off the top of my head, a kind of frame of words that I was happy to share with people. And obviously confused a lot of them because it didn't, it didn't fit at all with the, the model that was there. But what was kind of guiding us in all of this was the hope, um, which sadly wasn't always borne out, that people would respond in a kind of, with a bit of humanity and integrity to the to the situation we are in, and sort of appreciate that. Now, obviously, bots uh, and and platforms and algorithms aren't able to do that. But in some cases, we did reach human beings, and we had wonderful conversations, often very enlightening conversations. They say, "Listen, we'll give you a steer. This isn't normally how it works. What normally happens is you say yes, um, we we share the content if you've got the if you've got the rights to it, and then it's good for you because it raises your profile because we reach X million." people and so on and so forth and so um as i say it was yeah very, very much a kind of baptism of fire and we tended to fall back to people that we felt we'd who, who'd understood the, the circumstances that we were in and start just saying no to permissions no to to anything that we felt uncomfortable with or, or felt commercial um kind of yeah. beyond that um it, it sort of crescendoed into a moment which is which we'll always remember enormously fondly but there is this kind of slight shadow over it to do with an appearance on the Jimmy Kimmel show, which is one of the you know, incredible thing for us to be doing now <laughs> late at night, trying to get trying to pet the kids up for it and to and to give a sort of performance and, and a half decent interview. Again, when all of, the, all of the TV programs, even the big American ones like and the BBC and so on, were figuring out how how does this work, trying to run a, a station, a series of programs uh, all remote. We're kind of used to it now to, to this Zoom Teams podcast and things like yeah, that. Yeah. But, but then it was all completely new. Um, and so, uh, yeah, as as part of the kind of backdrop to what was the the light entertainment and happy story of us, a funny UK family, um, there was this issue in the States that the, the music rights publisher were uncomfortable with our song being aired on this major show and where exactly mm. did the copyright and the rights lie and so this yeah. so on the one hand we've got kind of a lamey's performance as it were going out live and all this legal stuff in the background there and at home um we which was absolutely lovely we're being invited um by cameron mcintosh's team and stuff to be involved in um some of the publicity for the online pivot for for lamey's back here and we just it was really hard to square those things in our heads that they were happening at the same time and i suppose it was an eye-opener that the, the the national boundaries don't hold that these that no. the, these laws operate internationally the way that these companies that the rights move around it's just really mm. hard it's like all i wanted is was to grab something to understand and it was like mm. water water through my fingers all the time and in the end um it was made clear to us that we we ought to sign away the adapted lyrics um to that original mm. song which which we did and if i had my time again i'm not sure i'd do the I do the same thing, but it was just we were so exhausted at that point and kind of concentrating on the ride that you know we yeah. didn't feel like we had any choice. So there, there were yeah. there were lessons learned, um, I think, in a good in a bad way as well as a good way about, about how things operate. It's really interesting to hear you say that. And I, I remember when when we caught up uh, recently a few weeks back, I know I shared with you the article uh, written by Karis Craig and Bob Tarantino, um, a couple of Canadian um, lawyers and, and legal academics um, about this process of 
trying to communicate with each other at a time of great crisis and 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 they're drawing um the the links to the decameron and what happened in in europe during the time of the plague and mm. they've, they've got a number of examples which echo your experience there entirely where you've got people expressing themselves in a way that actually nobody really objects to and like if you've got Cameron McIntosh and you know you've got the cast of Les Mis behind you know all the people that are out of work in the theatre saying this is precisely the sort of thing that keeps their spirits up and similarly mm. with the with the hallelujah you've got the the NHS and the amount of support you've had from people there um but that from, from you that, that it doesn't necessarily align with the way that these systems are set up and the copyright law is is about those big media networks uh, rather than something that's maybe based more on humanity. I'm not suggesting there's an answer to it, but I, I think I was very no. much struck with, you know, talking to you about your experience and then seeing that this is this is a global challenge, really. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think so. And something that's kind of cropped up in some of the recent discussions as well, including about the, the Hallelujah um, vaccine song, which obviously was, was quite different because it, you're wading into complicated um territory because the anti-vaccination movement you know these are very very heartfelt feelings that, that people have about them and and if the boot was on the other foot um it occurred to me like if there was something that was absolutely flying around that was to do with discouraging people from having mm. vaccines then i would i would have what i feel to be legitimate grievances and so in, in a way you said you, you look for these mirrors so these are complicated issues right about what what is a parody because there's very gray areas um, about what constitutes parody. Um, mm -hmm. There's also the grey areas about what what the, the kind of in internal morality um, or political messaging um, that's that's flying around with with some of the content. But I think my my the conclusion that I'm reaching and seems to be hardening rather than softening over the course of this this journey is that there there ought to be more transparency for for creators and for people to see where they are in any process, even if it's an automated process. Um, yeah, yeah. Because it feels from the bottom looking up, which is still very much what we feel we are, um, that you don't you don't learn what you need to know about who's made a decision or even if a human being has made a decision um, when you're asking the questions. And when it's the other way around, suddenly the law's involved and it feels much more uh, sort of um, it's repressive in, in some ways. And, and to give an, another example of kind of our experience of this, um, in our journey lately, having kind of figured it all out and been been uh, very diligent since that first song with always going to, to request rights and seeking licenses and often being told, mm. no, it's fine, we, we can rely on content ID or, or, or that the music rights publishers would like us to rely on the content ID system. There's a kind of irony there of all the efforts that we have to, we, we have to go through, hoops that we have to jump to, which sometimes we can't even finish jumping through because the, the companies prefer us not to because they're happier with the um, the kind of arrangement of content ID. And when the boot's on the other foot, so with the with the Total Eclipse song, and again, I'm not making the case here because we're artists and have any commercial interests, but in a way that's kind of liberating here because we're not seeking to make money or we're not kind of interested in our profile. Uh, we, who knows? We, who knows what the, what the future is going to bring? But um, certainly at the moment, that's not the case. And yet there are, you know, we knew from what friends were saying and people were telling us on social media that there were uh, tens and tens of millions of ripped copies of our song, of our content, mm. kind of uh, yeah. adaptation circulating around. And we couldn't get those 
taken down or shut down. You can wait ages to get a response or to kind of hear back from from some of the companies that do it. So there's a there feels a, r- a real difference, a real disparity in how quickly some of these mechanisms move and where the where the kind of boots of authority uh, are, are able to kick fastest. If you'll excuse the metaphor. Yeah, it does. It does feel that the system isn't really balanced in favour of the creator, and you know, even you know, as far as I mean, it's interesting you know but you know okay it's it's a work of parody but you know there is a huge amount of creativity that's gone into um you know the 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 lyrics and the song that you you've done so you know in, in my view you know that that is you know a new copyright work i mean it's it's got an element of originality that is very clear i think so it yeah but I think an interesting question arises here. We normally ask people when we do these these podcasts whether where they go to find information on copyright. And that's normally because mm. that person will be in a role where copyright is very central to it, whether that be publishing or being a, a librarian or, or, or somebody that, that, that deals with the law. But in your case, you were you were in this situation where you had to find information to tell you what was going on. So, I mean, how, where were there places you yeah, went to actually to, to get your head around it? Was it just talking to people or, or did you find useful sources of information? Uh, well, like probably most people, the first source of information was Google. Um, <laughs> you know, so so I looked around, and then again, very quickly, you get into into again this um, kind of jurisdictional issues of the advice that's being suggested for places to look. For instance, to find out who owns the the rights, who you can even approach for for mm. music publishers and using ASCAP, ASCAP or ASCAP. I don't even know. I don't even know how you pronounce it. Um, so yeah, took some soundings from from friends, and then and then happily, people like Chris, uh, you know, desperately. In in the case of the Hallelujah song, obviously we were just shocked and really disappointed and frightened when it was doing the rounds and we were having all these lovely messages from vaccination hubs and NHS and Sir Patrick Valance had retweeted it. So we thought, yeah, this, you know, this is this is great. This is kind of making a difference. And this is what we hoped for from the song, even while we were getting what was expected, which was, a, you know, a, a, a small undercurrent of kind of very abusive mm-hmm. stuff on, on comments threads compared to the other the other material. And then suddenly it just it was taken down. And Alfie yeah. came downstairs from upstairs and said, oh, dad, why is this? Why is the song not playing? It's disappeared. Um, and it's like that was it felt really personal that, that mm. something yeah. was done. And, and that was quite um, because the way the song set right with me and the girls just in the evening in their onesies, it's quite it was quite an intimate thing, which I think is maybe part of its draw as well. But it, it just yeah. disappeared. It had been disappeared, like um, just, you know, gone. And there was no evidence that this had ever existed and all the links were dead. And it was that was really kind of disorientating. Um, so we did. We wanted to to suddenly get as much information about it as we possibly could and figure out why on earth this has happened. Because there were all sorts of explanations flying around my head, which was to do with maybe the the Cohen because uh, it's a Leonard Co- wonderful Leonard Cohen song. Obviously, maybe the yeah. Cohen state had got wind of it and had a problem with it. Maybe the anti-vaxxer lobby had mobilised in in ways that in sort of political yeah. ways. Um, maybe someone at, at, the, at the the music label, music rights, company. and we just we just, because you don't get any any information about it, we just didn't know. All we were told through YouTube, yeah. just, all you can have is you can leave it with no music. And weirdly, I, I actually felt, although it was a very stressful couple of days, um, yeah, I sort of felt that it strangely became a kind of silent 
protest of the music having gone but it was still our performance and people could see that it existed at least they could see something that it was it wasn't like a figment of my imagination yeah, it yeah. did leave us feeling yeah very kind of vulnerable well, I, saw, I think that's when I saw your plea out on Twitter and I said <laughs> you must talk to Chris you must talk to him you know yeah yeah, yeah I could absolutely. see you were desperate to you know get some help there and you know who who could help with with that because as you say you know it's your content it was up there everyone was enjoying it and then it's gone it's yeah and that, you know, that was one of the wonderful things that we have learned and that fills us with a lot of positivity, even amongst the general kind of traumas at the moment, is that there's a kind of faith in in the online community now that we, because we, you know, the the most of any video of ours before this last year had ever been seen was, like, I don't know, like 200 views or something on, on Facebook. And then, but but suddenly when we put something out there, then we get people coming back with positive ideas and suggestions. And, and so... Uh, Chris and then some other people that got in that got in touch that were incredibly can, helpful too. Can I can I can I hold that thought for a moment because I think we've got an apposite jingle here to play um, oh. in order to uh, celebrate who I would say appear to be your copyright heroes. Help us when we're starting out. In our time of need Their wisdom, grace and eloquence Inspires us to succeed They're the people who we work with Who brighten up our day And validate our pedantry And send us on our way They're our copyright heroes There we go. I thought that jingle had led you to run away, Ben. So, I mean, obviously, Chris must be there up there with one of those. But no, it's quite a long jingle. So hopefully, it's given you enough time to think through. Because we thought you might want to give a chance to to say to to, to name check some of the people that helped you. Yeah, I I don't know if they all had to be mounted from the noise of horses. (laughs) Um, No, I mean there there were there were actually lots of lots of people that kind of rallied around and and just had just the stress being shared on Twitter itself can bring a bit of pressure. Um, Mm. We we wanted to try to reach a human being um, as quickly as possible to help us assess what had happened, but but also to try and understand what might have happened. As I was saying, there there were kind of different explanations floating around my head. And, And frankly, we still haven't got fully to the bottom of it, but just the chance to think it through and assess what the possibilities might be. Um, the the consensus is that it probably hit some algorithmic threshold. Um, maybe it was six hundred thousand views, maybe six fifty. I can't remember because it was it was climbing pretty quickly at that point. Um, that that then that then it kind of created a, a block on it until it could be assessed. Um, but we had wonderful emails from um, people like Julia um, Reda, who who until recently was. Uh, she's German, was a, a member of the European Parliament, um, instrumental yeah. in, uh, I'm sure known to all of your listeners, but 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 embarrassingly not to me um, particularly well, but, you know, in, clearly instrumental in in pushing for um, the democratisation of the of the digital sphere and, and for copy, copyright reform in, in all sorts of different ways. Um, and so, you know, she, she dropped us an email with a couple of 
of suggestions. One of which, by the way, was this, we should stick to sea shanties uh, like, like, <laughs> like lots of everybody else applied. So we've, we've come back to bite her with that recently. Um, and, and I was just chatting to her yesterday, actually, about a matter that we might we might check in about later. Um, and also uh, Jim um, Jim Killick at the Open Rights um, Group, where he's an executive director. And, and they were incredibly generous with their time with a very stressed random dad and historian but they totally and and in a way there's a kind of connection here because by explaining that we'd spoken to people to, to, to Chris to give us a sense of, of some of the problems that might be in motion um, and that, that they could see the public pressure that was coming from from Twitter and some of the kind of political capital about um, combating vaccine hesitancy as well that I think I think it did create more momentum than would than, a, than an average kind of user creator uploader could expect. Um, so there was a happy end to this story, which is that it was unblocked um, uh, by by Sony ATV and has now since then been able to to, to carry on playing and was uh, uh, sort of proud enough to say featured on the Democracy Now! programme in the States yesterday during their news bulletin. So that was lovely. Um, but no, they, they were incredibly generous with their time and helped us think through uh, some of the options that were possible. One of the options that we had we, we didn't take, but is something I'm definitely interested in revisiting in future. Maybe this is one for another podcast. Is to actually mm. test the parody exception in UK copyright law, which is yet to be tested. Um, yeah. But at a point when we were already receiving, uh, as I've said, various kinds of abuse and grief, the the prospect of kind of taking on a legal case with everything else. At the moment, we're not quite there yet, but it, it's maybe one to think about in the in the future. And there's definitely scope for somebody to, to take this on to investigate what actually does constitute a parody exception according to the to the rules. And and there's a lot of conviction among most of the people that we spoke to that um, what we did with the song and the performance and the lyrics does constitute parody in almost everybody's book that would that would look at it. Um, Absolutely. Whether that would yeah. win the case. Uh, this is a different matter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's Section 30A of the Copyright Designs and Patents Act for legislation fans. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, very interesting. I, I would just like to add a couple of names to say to thank you from my perspective to Tony Barton, who works at PRS for Music, and Paul Clements at the Music Publishers Association, who helped me when I contacted them on on your behalf to kind of get through and, and hopefully have some role, you know, in, in, in unblocking that. So, um, yeah, yeah no, I, while we're on it, sorry, Jamie Lawson at the at the BPI as well, who oh, has yes. been great with it with a couple of conversations as well since. Yeah, so I think let's, I, let's celebrate all those copyright here. So let's put them on a horse and uh, go whip cracking around. Yeah, uh, that, that, uh, fantastic. Um, Ben, what what stuff are you working on at the moment? And I mean, interpret this in the way you you wish. If you want to tell us about some of your songs you've got um, in the pipeline, then feel free. We can go down that 80s uh, rock sort of ballad um, line. But you know, or your academic work as well. What what sort of stuff are you working on at the moment? Um, well, in academic terms, I did, last year I I was none of this. Uh, crazy viral journey should have happened well for lots of reasons it shouldn't have happened but um i was supposed to be in the states actually on research leave last spring but couldn't couldn't go out there and there was going to be a little book book launch for what has been a 10-year project um so it's a book called unraveled dreams silk in the atlantic world circa 1500 to 1840 um it's about attempts to grow silk 
around the Atlantic basin by various European powers, including oh, wow. places that really have no right to try to grow mulberry trees or silkworms um, like yeah. Kent and Britain and Sweden and, and places like that. But it, this was one of the commodities that was supposed to be grown um, rather than things like you know tobacco and sugar and and rice yeah and, and, and yeah. The, all the slavery and all of the all of the things that ended up coming out of atlantic economic development so a huge amount of effort was created to try to grow silk and it never came to anything and i'm always really intrigued by the history of failure and things that didn't quite happen so it started out as a kind of footnote and it ended up becoming a 10-year uh 400 year book project so that wow. that's, um still kind of excited in picking up some of the threads if you'll excuse the pun from that one and then more recently <laughs> i've been trying because it's really hard to write at the moment and you can't get into yeah. any archives anyway so i've been reverting to um a, a little fascinating project about a kind of what we call a micro history um so it's a, a, a small episode but maybe into into which we can read big things and this is an episode in the that i came across in primary sources uh, in the 18th century in a on a river system between georgia and south carolina of a load of kids and pregnant women that started eating dirt or clay eating um, and many of them sadly died but it's investigating what might have caused that clay eating and um, whether it was diseases or mineral deficiencies and how they understood those behaviors um so that's where i'm going academically and then in yeah in terms of the songs there's always about five or six floating around the one that's been a real headache to try and nail because the kids are now playing it really well on instruments um is uh, you can call me al uh, by paul paul simon from the grace oh, album, wow. album we always loved so the instruments is all good but it's just for, for the for writing parody lyrics there are so many yeah. words you know it starts with man walks down the street and i and i can see where it could go comedically but there's just so much to pack in that so far i've tried and fa speaking of the history of failure failed to um to make that either funny or fit within a verse of paul simon singing <laughs> that could be one of your micro histories i love it i love it i love the idea of micro histories i i, I hadn't come across that before as well so I'm definitely interested in checking out some of your academic work as well. So, yeah, um, we we were it sort of uh, we often talk to people, as we've said, who know quite a bit about um, copyright. And one of the things we ask is like whether they have a sort of favorite um, nerdy fact or an anecdote about copyright. I mean, you're going to have so many stories to wow people at parties um, in the years to come. Um, if, if you were going to do that about copyright, is there is there something you found out recently that you um, you might want to share with us? The, well, I don't know if it's a nerdy fact, but the only sort of interesting anecdote that we discovered recently with one of the songs that we we're into, because obviously now a question that crops up very early on with us is, who, who owns the rights to this song and you know what, yeah. what are the implications of trying to pursue it because we, we've had very different responses from different music publishers some of whom say as long as you're not monetizing you can do what you like with it and we won't even put ads on it on YouTube and at the other end of the spectrum which sadly is more common you just don't get a response when you fill out the official forms and you wait for what normally would be a two a reasonable two-week 14-day legal gap but you've still had no reply and you kind of stick it up and hope it doesn't get blocked having tried to do everything that you feel in a, in a human world could reasonably be expected even if it doesn't constitute full legal licensing 
Um, mm. So a song that we did recently, which was a version of the, um, the the Lion Sleeps Tonight, which we called, which we made about takeaway food, and we called the Buy In Eats Tonight. Um, there's a little anecdote in its in its copyright history, which is that um, basically it was culturally appropriated in the in the 1960s by by a, a series of um, uh, music producers, and you know the, the version everyone knows, which is from the Lion King or, or the Tokens version um which translated into into english and that's kind of the version that we modeled our kitchen song on um but originally it was it was a, a zulu piece called mbube um and it just came out of of copyright in in south africa i think not not that long ago but it was the subject of a of a, a court case about um the rights and again what straddles international rights and it's interesting again there's a part of me that wonders what would happen if we claimed if we went back to YouTube and said, "Oi, why is why are there adverts on this?" Um, we've now we've created um, new words, but this is an adaptation of Mbube, um, not what YouTube Content ID says it is, which is um, oh god, I've forgotten what the French translation is, but it's the Le Lion d'Or ce soir or something like that. It's the, they, the it's been identified by by the bot as the mm. a French song, not even the English version. Um, so at some stage, it might be intriguing to kind of roll sleeves up and, and say, uh, what's happened to all this advertising revenue? Can it please go to one of the charities that we've supported or nominated um, and and to play with that that issue as well? But it's just having the time to do some of these things. Yeah, it sounds I mean, that sounds like a really interesting thing to go down. And I'm, I'm you know, we you discussed before that, you know, copyright is really about money in 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 often and in in your case as you've said that it you're not doing this for the money and you have charitable um you know that you have charities that you're 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 putting any money that it does raise towards um and you've got the the, the most recent song as well is linked to comic relief is that right yeah that's right so comic relief is coming up i think in a in a couple of weeks time and we hadn't kind of followed the the trend that's been raging since TikTok in January I think since that uh, Airdrie Posty put that wonderful version of the Wellerman up um and and so sea shanties have been raging and one of the reasons <laughs> we hadn't done one I was I was instantly attracted to the prospect of doing one because there's no price issues even if you're doing an original shanty yeah. fortunately uh, my wife Danielle who works in the in the Kent business school uh, as a, a postgraduate administrator um sadly she's not she's not massively into sea shanties or or folk music and she and she felt that um she felt that going down that route would sort of be uh, be following a trend or something and that it wasn't what we've right. done before so eventually i managed to persuade her but only by basically creating a satire about us not singing a, shan a sea shanty but in the form of a <laughs> sea shanty and the other reason we thought that was that might work well is because there weren't any rights issues i wrote the music and the words it's all our own content and we so for the first yeah. time flipped, flipped monetization on sorry to anyone that's had to watch an advert for it but all of that um revenue will be going straight to our little just giving fundraiser if anyone does have any spare change at this point in the pandemic please do uh, have a look and think about contributing yeah we will Definitely. put a link into that as well on uh, on the 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 blurb about oh, this thank you. Uh, podcast it definitely yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's a it's another it's a great song. So um, I, I, I really enjoyed that and all the ones you've been doing recently on the on the 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 takeaway song as well. It did make me want to take away. I mean, <laughs> I think you've had quite a few reactions like that. 
I also noticed you had a response from one of the uh, famous gig economy delivery food companies on on Twitter. I don't know whether you've you've had sort of piles and piles of hot takeaway food turning up at your house ever since. Or... <laughs> we got we got offered we got offered something after the first one, which had a pizza. But sadly, where we live, we're not within range of of that kind of delivery. So was... yeah. this is something that Jane and I talk about all the time. See, in Canterbury, of course, we have all of those things on hand with a large student population at normal times outsides on the outskirts of the beating heart of the, the, the fringes Kent, of in the Kent. fringes you, you have to make do with what you can get yeah. i guess foraging in hedgerows yeah, yeah that's right so no there's there's been a weird a we, we we finally much too late so i mean the youtube channel was late enough but we finally set up a sort of social media presence just to protect because as i say last time rounds i was on leave but this so i had a, mm. a bit of kind of bandwidth to cope with stuff but this time t teaching some wonderful students on my rich atlantic world courses um and i just didn't want that traffic in the email again so we set up an account and, and as you can imagine there's been some weird and wonderful offers suggestions people writing their own parody lyrics that they they wish yes. us to kind of apply to to songs from every time period that you can imagine and every genre that you can imagine so uh, can, yeah. can i ask that you mentioned your students do you, do you think this is going to help your teaching scores you know is your module suddenly becoming super popular yeah um, i don't know i don't know if they'll have expectations i did once this was years ago. They're expecting you to sing. I well, I did them. once sing in a lecture. I was giving a lecture about John Brown, who's a, a famous 19th century American abolitionist um, with a big beard. And of course, there's the, the famous song, John Brown's Body. But n none of our, it's like these things where you you age and you haven't realised it culturally. None of none of the students knew that song. They only knew it from no. Glory, Glory, Man United was the only book <laughs> that they knew. So I did once attempt to sing in a lecture, but no, I, I don't think they expect it. It's funny, actually, not not a single student um, has has mentioned it. I hope maybe they haven't even connected it, which is which is fine. No, I think they're too scared. I think that my my experience, I think, of undergraduate students is they'll be petrified of mentioning it because they'll you know want to want to be seen as terribly serious and academic, and they couldn't possibly mention it. So you'll have to just sing, I think. <laughs> no, it's that's perfect as far as I'm concerned. We just carry on as normal. <laughs> so so one question we had and feel free to 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 answer to the negative or give a non-committal one is it would be great to see a song about all the challenges associated with copyright in the in the 21st century in a social media environment and if you did want to go down that route i think we'd be very happy to to do what we can to be your technical advisors absolutely no. well, collaborate yeah. from um, chris's point of view as well that would be Chris wonderful. Is, Chris one of the, is kind of a fan of sorry. Yeah. Because, because um, and I think, you know, J Jim Killick had mentioned this as well, like the, the prospect of pulling together something, whether, whether you can make it genuinely funny, I suppose, is the, is the problem. Or if, if, you, if you get too technical with, with whichever clause of the copyright law it is, you might not carry, you might lose some of the punters along the way. But then if it's part of a big campaign, uh, why not? Well, I think I think we should get Ben one of our T-shirts. Actually, I think uh, we should we should get him the um, periodic table um, of copyright exceptions. We've uh, we'll got we'll, copyright we'll, T-shirts on today. Anyway, this is going to be an audio-only podcast, so people wouldn't have been able to see them in any event. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, we, it's time we, for another jingle. I think it is time, time for another jingle. Yes, yeah. Copyright news. 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 Copyright news, copyright news, copyright news. So this is a section called copyright news. So 
Do you have any topical news for us um, about what's happening in copyrighted in your world? Yeah, I mean, the only the, the recent development that's come across my path connected to copyright has been that the, the House of Lords Communications and Digital Committee um, is at the moment holding an inquiry into freedom of expression online. And apparently there were kind of written contributions to that. But some of the people, uh, some of my copyright heroes that I've mentioned are actually going to be giving um, testimony actually this week um, as they think through really important questions about the freedom of expression implications of copyright enforcement um, mm. and I, I think they're going to use us as, as an example of what what can or might go wrong with systems like content id because there's a prospect of these systems now being rolled out much more broadly um, and the implications are that if this is assumed to have been a success um, who's actually succeeded by content id working and in what ways is it actually not operating to the benefit of um, of composers um, not operating to the benefit of ordinary people and, and creators? Um, and is it being kind of skewed by the, the needs and the demands and the just modus operandi of some of the some of the bigger uh, organisations who we know, as in lots of spheres at the moment, are just getting bigger and are, are sort of swallowing things up on, on a scale which is almost unimaginable to, to, to most of us. So some of the things that they're thinking about in, in this um, committee, I think, are questions about whether there ought to be an external audit um, or some, some mechanisms to externally audit algorithms and how they work. Um, they're looking at questions of good digital citizenship, um, which I think mm. is a really, really interesting, I mean, it's a really interesting phrase, um, but I'm as we, with our Hallelujah song, which was sort of trying to wade into that terrain without inflaming tensions and, and ideas. So, so I, I think that's a very interesting concept for us all to play with. As, as I know that, you know, some of the big platforms like to think of themselves as a public square, but but they're not really operating in a way that anyone can wander in and whose voice is, is heard equally. So the idea of um, a digital citizenship, I think, is really exciting and, and maybe offers uh, a more collective route to the kind of individual problem I was describing earlier, which is wanting to treat with people as human beings and to and to share conversations that carry some integrity, even if you have different viewpoints or different right spaces. I think it's really yeah. interesting point you make. And, and it, again, looking at it from the other perspective, um, I'm sure we would all agree that we didn't don't really want Donald Trump on Twitter saying what he says. But nonetheless, the, the Twitter's decision to ban him from the platform was as a result of them saying, well, they're a private company. They can do what they like. You know, they are, they're mm. not a public entity. Then it's not a public square. And I think it's it's just a really interesting area for development. Um, and, uh, and going back to copyright law, we do have um, the, the European directive um, on the uh, digital single market, which although the UK doesn't have any plans to implement because it doesn't have to anymore. Um, it nonetheless will have a major impact on what happens in this country and around the world. Because mm. what's, I mean, we 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 spoke with Richard Misek about this in the last podcast as well, and he, he he's been tra tracking this from the perspective of a uh, of a filmmaker who uses uh, other people's material and puts them together and sort of montage filmmaking. Is that it could potentially undermine a whole area of creativity if oh. you've basically got the algorithms taking this stuff down. So uh, uh, thanks because we weren't aware of that that committee hearing was happening so no, it's useful it's, to it's to really i think it's really interesting and it, it does 
it does tie in, doesn't it, Chris, with our kind of, we've talked quite a few times about how we see um, understanding copyright as sort of part of digital literacy, part of digital citizenship, something, you know, that it is really important that not not people, academics, university students, but everyday people, you know, understand um, a bit about how how the internet, how technologies work and, and kind of, you know, how copyright works and what their rights are as well as, you know, what the risks are. Um, we're gonna we're gonna draw things to a close, but before we do, um, normally or in in times gone by, we used to come and meet people, come along and chat to them, and um, we used to bring them along some cake. And um, so um, I have got here. This is you have to sort of imagine, guys. Ooh. I've got three squares of homemade tiffin. Homemade. Oh, I potentially can deliver Ben to you um, if I get out on my bike. It could possibly point. be like um, if I did a round bike trip, we could probably do a sort of three points of a triangle where I could burn off the calories of one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to, you you two have to just imagine. I'm going to enjoy um, the chocolate tiffin, which is my kind of lockdown treat. But have you got have you got a favourite kind of cake, um, Ben? Have you had a sort of you know lockdown baking frenzy, or is there a sort of to. I've been a, I've had a lockdown eating frenzy of things that other people <laughs> have baked. I've, I haven't been one of those good parents that kind of fully helps make the dough and stuff. L- luckily, Lils has done some of that, but actually our girls are big enough that they just kind of crack on with it and just leave a mess in the kitchen for someone to tidy up. Um, the short answer is like lots of things, j- jumping back to classics from my youth at the moment, we're all getting a bit nostalgic, yeah. I think. So So Battenberg, would probably be a oh. random random cake from the from the 1980s that we used to have at tea time with um, grandstand and the A team and things <laughs> like that. And for some reason, the marzipan and the colours and just the maybe the slightly OCD kind of um, uh, uniformity of the of the squares in that. I'd, yeah, I, I could do with a piece of that. You are <laughs> oh, you are great. in good company actually with one of the copyright greats in the UK. Okay. Um, Professor Lionel Bentley, who we interviewed, and I think that's his favourite cake as well, isn't it, Chris? It, it is his favourite cake, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think yeah. I was always put off it when I was younger. I, I think it was probably, I, it was a marzipan was about thing, it wasn't pink. it? And yeah. it was, yeah, and it the marzipan and the pinkness of it. I think, the yeah. T- yeah. But actually, I, I have come to, I appreciate it now. I do like a, a Battenberg. Mm, mm. I'm thinking of fondant fancies and things like that now oh, as well. Yeah, I yeah. Like very much. I'm gonna to have to go I get. Think it was pink. Anything pink. <laughs> Uh, so on that note, I think we're all now going to rush off to the cupboard and stuff <laughs> our faces with whatever we can find. Yeah. Um, ben, yeah. Thank you so much for that. That was um, yeah, really, really fantastic. good of you to to find the time to talk to us and to be so open and about talking about all those challenges. Thank you. No, thanks very much for having me. It's been lovely. He just he likes to narrate what he's doing in a when we ever do any sort of teaching online. I'm now sharing my screen. I'm just oh, it doesn't seem to be working at the moment. I'm having a few problems. Won't be a minute. Blah, blah, it's blah. just to give everyone in the loop as to what's going on in my inner monologue. Right, it says we're recording the meeting, so now um, we're ready to go. So let's cue the music. <laughs>